Welcome to the Final Score Network and the Final Score Podcast, presented by Team Anders Realtors. I'm Andy. He's former D3 student athlete and co-host... Ryan! Cam! Two-man monster flush! Off the inbound! Ryan! Cam! Slam! Jam! Find us on Podbean, the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at TheFinalScore35. There is always plenty to run through, but before we get to it, a word from our presenting sponsor. Team Anders' goal is to serve its clients in finding the home that best fits their needs and make the process simple and fun along the way. They are a team of people who will be in close communication, personally taking care of your real estate needs through technology, marketing, and advertising. Team Anders has served thousands of clients over 30 plus years in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and are here to serve you today. Learn more at teamanders.com. Another week, another TFS pod, and another bit of salty mood. Maybe we should stop doing these on Tuesdays after Michigan State BFs, another easy win, whether it's at home or on the road. Ridiculous. More on that in a little bit. Generally, no more football, but I'd say no problem because we got March Madness, our disdain for Michigan State at the moment aside. We got Hope Calvin, classic, as we've talked about, one of the best rivalries in college basketball, generally basically for the MIAA title this week. Selection Sunday is just 26 days away. Is this the least hyped Olympics ever? I don't know that I've watched any of it, <laughs> to be honest, and I haven't missed it. And one other fun fact. I read today, Detroit was number the number two market in the U.S. for local ratings and share during the Super Bowl. Detroit, not far behind Cincinnati, who had a team in the game. This is how starved we are for the Lions to make it. All right, Ryan, I'm sure we've got plenty of stuff to cover tonight on the podiums alone, let alone our typical around the world. So the lectern is yours. Yeah, uh, make this one short. Just talk about something really dumb that came up last week um, for for just Detroit fans it makes us look really stupid. The the store on the east side of the state was selling Detroit Rams uh, memorabilia, whatever clothes, t-shirts, sweatshirts, whatever. Guys, that is the most embarrassing thing I've ever heard. I get that Matthew Stafford played for the Lions for twelve years. I get that he just won the Super Bowl and was in the Super Bowl, but. The Detroit Rams, are you kidding me? That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard, and I saw that I wanted to throw up. That is just so stupid. We are our own team. We don't need to go with some other team. If you're not a Lions fan through and through, then you're not. Then don't be a Lions fan. Be a Rams fan. Be a whatever, bandwagoner, whatever they call it. BS. I hate that. Disgusting. All right. I switched mine here tonight after watching, albeit I didn't have to watch the whole thing, thank goodness for a haircut appointment. Um, Poor timing on my part, maybe, maybe not. But another, you'd call it a debacle for Michigan State basketball. They've now lost three of the last four. We'll put the Rutgers game aside. We talked about that last couple weeks in the pod. That was just one of those, those happen. But the Wisconsin game, Got away from them tonight. Absolutely got away from them. 12-point lead in the second half. 14. Um, you know, the Northwestern game beating back to earlier January. Illinois, the first time we played them when they didn't have uh, Coburn. 
or Corbello. So they've lost three of the last four, five of the last nine. I'm going to pose a simple question. Michigan State fans, you can cringe, you can agree, you can be somewhere in the middle. And I'm not saying that I have the answer to this myself yet, but I'm just going to pose the question. Are we looking at, and God bless them, love them, had them on the podcast, but are we looking at a Mark D'Antonio type ending for Tom Izzo? That's a question that you got to ask because let's just look at that. Five of the last nine, and this is not your typical February swoon. I mean, Michigan State has stretches sometimes in February that are like head scratchers and then things come together, but you're not seeing you know, us turning corners in some areas where we've struggled. The same struggles happen. And I get it. The players play, right? Like Coach Izzo and the staff doesn't turn the ball over. They don't not box out. They don't not get loose balls. They don't not rebound. But that that's a culture thing that's always been there for Michigan State, just like certain things were a culture for D'Antonio. And Love them both. I mean, they both go down as the the guys that, you know, for D'Antonio, he turned Michigan State football back around. And for Izzo, he took what, you know, the great stuff Judd had done, but, done, but then consistently put us on the map. Eight Final Fours, national title. Who knows what would have happened in 2020 with that team, riding a hot streak, going into March before, you know, COVID ridiculously shut it all down. You just got to ask. And I don't know the answer, but I don't know if who's the answer to him. Is it somebody that's on the bench? Is it somebody else? Do we ride it out a couple of years and hope it doesn't get too salted away and go get Drew Valentine if he continues to have success at you know Loyola Chicago? I don't have the answer for that. That's for a whole other podcast, but you got to wonder. I mean, he sits down on the bench a lot more lately, even this year. Last year he did, you know, because he dealt with COVID, blah, blah, blah. But like tonight, long stretches in the second half. Just And I don't know if it's because he's so frustrated. I think, Ryan, what you say is the first time in years, maybe years, that Michigan State has not made players available to the media yeah, after a loss. In a, in a long time. I mean, I think a little bit of that happened during all the Nasser stuff when they were trying to drag Izzo through the mud. That might happen then a little bit. But for the most part, something's wrong. It's not getting fixed. It's the same old, same old. Michigan State's not turning the corner in places, or just when you think they are, like they did Saturday or yeah, Saturday against Indiana, they go right back to where they've been, turning the ball over, guys disappearing from the scoring column. I mean, big fella Julius Marble had a phenomenal game, but he's not made to be the, the bread-and-butter scorer. I mean, he had 14 um, and 16, if you want to count the hook, where Michigan State gave – Got a bad shot late in the clock, and it was too late. He made it, but it was after the buzzer. I, I just, I just have to wonder: is it starting to pass him by? I mean, he's had what now three, four shots in the last couple of weeks to to get to the Bobby Knight number. It's going to happen, obviously, but it might not happen until the end of the season, and he might not surpass him this season. And he's one game from tying him. One game, and the last little bit I got to throw there. A little love to. You know, former Michigan State player, played it walk-on on the national championship team, Steve Cherry. Um, you know, I mean, like he said, good teams don't blow double-digit leads in the second half on the road. To bad teams. They, they just don't. And Penn State plays tough. I'll give you that. They fight. But Michigan State always used to, and they're not now. And so I ask, is the game, the recruiting, everything starting to pass Tom Izzo? Bye. All right, let's move to our tee-up. 
this happened, I think it was over the weekend or maybe late last week, Ryan, after we did our podcast. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, one of the most egregiously dangerous and ridiculous plays you will see in basketball, period. Um, And that was the Clemson player, I can't remember who it was, who, trying to stop a fast break, absolutely, wildly, dangerously undercut who was it for Duke? Uh, Wendell Moore. Wendell Moore. And I mean, like, could have broken his neck type of thing. Like, he was parallel to the ground, eight feet above the ground because he undercut him. Like, I, I mean, I'm surprised that he got back up and he played. And all Clemson did, if it was even Clemson, I think it was the ACC, ACC. just suspended him for a game. Yeah. We're teeing his ass up because if I'm Clemson and I'm the coach and I see that, that's not hustle. That's cheap. You're off my team. It's not meant to You're be You're off my team, period. There is no place for that. And I don't even care that it's Duke, who I hate almost as much as Michigan. There's no place for it. It's dangerous. I mean, I wouldn't hope that Michigan State would do that to Hunter Dickinson. And you know how I feel about Hunter Dickinson. I mean, that is a type of play that can have no place in basketball. And yet he gets a one-game suspension. That's. It. I mean, Ryan, what's your take as a former player? Like, I, I always cringed when that kind of stuff yeah. would that's definitely a cringe-worthy moment. There's, there's no room in the game, especially today, for that kind of stuff. Um, just, it's disgusting. Why, why? It's a dangerous play in the first place. I mean, I get following him, but he, he pushed him in the back. Go look at the video if you haven't. It is the most blatant foul I've ever seen. Unbelievable. The guy should never be allowed to play again. I think. That was like a Teddy Dupay, Grayson Allen level cheap shot. It was I Grayson Allen esque. It's, it's amazing that he didn't seriously hurt himself it really truly is all right let's go to around the world um in our pretty typical sequence that we've had lately spot number one we'll primarily talk big 10 but we'll talk a little bit of ncaa hoops too i've got some fun facts and interesting data that i looked up today that as we get closer to march madness might be good but ryan i'll let you start give us a rundown of kind of what's what since the last time we talked we obviously know one What's what that I talked a little bit about ad nauseum at my podium? Maybe who's your team of the week? How are our, our lineups doing? Yeah, go team of the week's got to be Rutgers. Um, you know, beat Ohio State last week, then beat Wisconsin. Um, playing really well, played themselves onto the bubble. I don't know how they weren't on the bubble in the first place after winning a few of those ranked games, but now they because they lost to like Lafayette and yeah, that's I mean, true. DePaul, they, they lost to some I mean, bad they've beaten teams. four ranked teams in Big Ten play. Pretty unbelievable. And not all at home because they got no, they, you got, know, they, they got the win at the Colson. They got so. Wisconsin uh, on the road. Um, and, yeah, impressive. Michigan had a big win against Purdue, then laid an egg against Ohio State. They're still fighting for that bubble spot. Kind of looked at as a as a last four in, maybe first four out-ish team right now um, with a tough remaining schedule. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the Big Ten's crazy. Ohio State's looking good. Wisconsin's. Hit or miss, produce hit or miss, Illinois. Is it's weird to say okay. produce hit or miss, but they, you know, they got punked by Michigan, who then in turn got beat pretty good by Ohio State, and struggles to win games that they should win. That's a familiar feeling. Um, and then Purdue almost lost at home to Maryland. I mean, very easily could have over the yeah. weekend. So I was like, I keep wanting to put the put them up there, but I just I can't I can't trust it. I. I know what I know on paper, but I know what I see with my eyes. And boy, I mean, I don't know. You know, Indiana. You you want to say okay, maybe they've got it put together, but they looked. That's 
you know, granted, as well as Michigan State played, especially at the point guard position combined in that game, Indiana just, they can't shoot at all. They've got some, you know, um, Jackson Davis is solid. Race Thompson is really good. But they don't have consistent guys that can knock down threes. Um, you know, Minnesota's kind of starting to falter a little bit. You know, it's hard to do it for as long as they have been with just really seven guys in the rotation. Nebraska is what they are. They're horrible. Yeah, they're very bad. Northwestern, you know, lost. they fought back and lost a close game again to Illinois this week. I mean, they've lost so many games by six points or less. You know, there's probably, and we'll talk about it, um, you know, in our bracketology segment, but, you know, there's still probably seven or eight teams that are going to get in from the Big Ten, but it's like, I, boy, I'm hard-pressed to know if there's really a Final Four contender in here at this point I in time. I don't think so. I really don't. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more in bracketology, but, um, yeah, I mean, any anything else that stood out to you in particular this week, or Ryan, you want to give us, give how we're doing in our game? No, yeah, that's about all. Um, Big Ten wise, yeah, in in our little game we got going on, um, I've played one more than you. I have 115 total points um, ahead. Um, big game by Keegan Murray. That guy's a stud. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm watching the end of the Duke game here, um, and Duke was up big against Wake. Wake tied it, and Duke is going to find a way to win with a tip dunk with .4 seconds left. That's what good teams do. They win those yeah, games. Yeah, they find, they find ways to win, and that is that has been Michigan State's bugaboo all season. They're just, I mean, they've, they've, they were winning close games early in the season, but they're not now, and it's because they don't, I mean, Malik Hall's as close as they have to an alpha dog, but scores he goes points. and scores three points tonight. I mean, as great as he was against Indiana and, and lights out from the line, he was like one for four from the line tonight. I mean, here's the thing. I just have some notes that I combined from the Indiana and Purdue games for Michigan State. These are the things that just flat out piss me off, and it's why Michigan State's going to struggle to make any noise come March. They don't get 50-50 balls. They give up a you-know-what ton of offensive rebounds. They kind of evened it out towards the end tonight. But in the first half, at one point, they were minus seven on the offensive glass to, to Penn State. You know, now Harar is a brick house as a you know, big old whitey there. But still, I mean, there's no excuse for that. They played war the other day three times in practice, and they still can't get it. That's want to, right? Rebounding is want to. Like, that doesn't take skill to do that. Um, except for Marble, who's absolutely deadly with that hook jump hook shot from anywhere from two feet to almost like ten feet from the basket, Michigan State is pretty damn awful at the rim. They just oh, so they don't bad. finish at the rim. Weak. Even Max Christie at the very end, it didn't matter. But you know he went in strong and missed a layup. I mean Hogard, he's he biffs way more than he makes from two feet. Walker doesn't finish his drive to the basket. He pulls out and, and looks for somebody to pass to. You know, he made a couple nice shots from Michigan State tonight, but it was on him at the end when Hogard sprained his ankle and may or may not be back for Saturday. Who knows? But, um, you know, we wasted a lot of time on the clock because Walker was afraid to shoot. Like, Cassius wouldn't have been afraid to shoot. He would have taken a bad shot to get a shot up because he knew that we needed a shot. So, throw in there, Michigan State's also indecisive. They are awful. Awful at late shot clock oh. offense because they don't swing the ball from the side to side. They let it sit and bog down on one side, and they try some pick and roll stuff. The defenses just collapse. They get a bad shot or they miss a shot at the rim 
or, you know, they get a kick out, but it's a contested, you know, with a well-closed out three, which is something else Michigan State doesn't do very well. At least some of the guys, not all of them, but a good chunk of the guys don't close out well. Um, <laughs> like, yeah, we're not talking about a losing team, although what are they, 18 and 7 now, but again, they've lost five of their last nine, and it's these little things. These are little fundamental all, things that they don't the do. Thing, can, can I take this? Yeah, one? please. The thing that that makes me so angry about it is, it's. I mean, teams are making hard shots. Penn State made some tough shots, credit to them. Michigan State held them to 62 points, and they still, and 39%. That's not the defense. The defense is in 39% the from the field, 62 points, and you lose to a team that's far inferior to what you are. You can't have that happen. You can't. And the thing that makes me mad about this team is all of it is self-inflicted, so correctable, not getting your hand up on a, on a closeout, getting, reaching or jumping when you shouldn't on, on a shot fake and getting burned at the end of a shot clock, getting a, someone getting a tap out at the end and then hitting a three, stupid turnovers, dribbling off your foot, missing layups. You know, just not making the winning plays that it takes to win games. All that stuff adds up. All of it does. You may not notice it, but if you don't, pay attention the next time, and it all adds up. I don't, small things. I don't know how many times, and especially lately, and probably really all season, Michigan State has played phenomenal defense for 27 or 28 seconds, and then that lapse, one of those lapses Ryan's talking about, just... I don't know if it's focus. I don't know if it's want to. I mean, they give up so many cheap offensive rebounds that are at critical junctures in games. I mean, they did it for a long time. I just I kept writing down in my notes, Michigan State could have buried Indiana. Michigan State could have buried Indiana. Michigan State could have buried Indiana. And at the end, they did. But that's been a rarity lately. And those are just, again, to me, those are effort things. Some, some, of, that, some of that is... I mean, kind of goes back to my podium with Izzo. Is it talent? Like Christie? Okay, I mean, he's a little slight for his sight. He's got he's he needs another year to put some weight on. I I understand that, but how are other five stars minus Amani Bates so good so fast? And they're not all that you know built right. Like he, we ask him to do a lot. I get it, but you know the problem is is you don't have another wing to back him up. Michigan State really struggles because we don't have wings that can get their own shot off the ball. Christie kind of can, but, but I don't know if Izzo, Izzo doesn't trust him to take it to the rack or what. But Aikens is the closest thing, and really he should be given the keys to be point guard. I agree. Steve Cherry, my, my buddy that I alluded to before, he's like, give the keys to Aikens. Just go. Give him, give him the keys because he plays hard. He doesn't care what he gets stats-wise. He, he He's going to do the little stuff. Look. Michigan State, we lamented the last couple weeks on the podcast about how they didn't play hard or didn't play with emotion. They did that against Indiana, but then it went right back to where it was tonight. Like, I get, you know, Izzo would say, well, we don't have senior leaders. I, BS. Hall and Brown and some of those, Bingham, those guys have been around the program. Yeah, they didn't have to be the guy on the floor with Xavier and Cassius to get a feel for what it's like. You know, Brown was on that Final Four team. You know that beat Duke. He made some big plays. I believe it was in the LSU game in the Sweet yeah, he Sixteen. Made five threes. I mean, so I don't buy that they don't have the experience. I, I just something is missing, and I don't and I don't get it because is it chemistry? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it is chemistry, and we just don't see it. I I don't know, Ryan. I mean, you might be a little bit closer to more connected. I'll tell you what. We're gonna have Michael Peterson. Uh, 
current Michigan State walk-on, you know, former Rockford Rams teammate of Ryan's. We're going to have him on the podcast for a, as much of a tell-all as he'll give us when his season and his time at Michigan State is done. But I, 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 I'm I, at a loss. I mean, I'm just I'm just scratching my head. I, I, I don't know what else to yeah, say. I don't I don't get it. We don't have a guy that can get their own shot, um, create. I mean, that's, that's what's missing. It really is offensively when you get bogged down. And this is what makes me mad about Michigan State's offense. They run the same thing every time. They run the same thing. When you don't have guys that can get their own shot, you can't keep running sets. You have to go to a motion offense with ball movement, and they don't do anything. The ball sticks to one side of the floor. Mm-hmm. Someone dribbles for 25 seconds. It's absurd. It is absurd, and I cannot stand watching it. And um, my great friend Riley Fairfield sent maybe the most, like, what's the word I'm looking for, just correct like thing that I've ever read about Michigan State. This is what he said. He, he wanted me to share this. My hot take after this Penn State game is that Izzo could be turning into D'Antonio of the later years. Here's my evidence. 2016 football class set Michigan State back multiple years for multiple reasons. And the 2018 recruiting class for basketball is doing the same thing. Kithier was supposed to be Costello. Bingham was supposed to be Adrian Payne. A lot of busted and flawed players in that recruiting class with no legit shooting ability. They needed developing, and Izzo didn't develop them at all. Izzo hasn't been great on the recruiting trail this year as an exception due to COVID, which leads to one no one being able to manufacture their own jump shot or, or drive game in half-court offense. Antonio lost his touch and didn't change with the times and wasn't bringing the same edge as years past vocally in recruiting. Izzo sat on the bench and didn't say anything until Penn State took the late, the lead late. Our guys take our feet off the gas and are surprised when they get down late. Then they look over on the bench and see a straight-faced Izzo sitting down. How many times can you say, that's on me, until it gets fishy? He looked like he could give a damn of what happened. My question is, do we need to hire outside of the program when Izzo inevitably retires? Because Dwayne Stevens seems to have a major uh, hand in the rotations, and what's that's one of Michigan State's major issues. I think it'll end up being Stevens, but I don't think I want that anymore. I'm tired of seeing the horn set flow into late clock, high ball screen that leads to a bad shot or turnover. Feel like things need to be shaken up and get younger. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's perfectly well put. And we'll close out this segment unless you got some stuff nationally. I, I had some stuff on on that's a little bit more related to uh, the bracketology that it was in this section on NCAA in general. I'm going to move it to the next segment. But the only other thing I wanted to point out before I'll let you with any closing thoughts on this, Ryan, is going back to that Indiana game, if you watched it, I mean, that was a two-hour and 25-minute game because the refs called so many freaking fouls. Um, Coach George, Ref George, I would love your take on that game. But, like, the the whole notion of double technicals because guys were chippy and talking a little trash to each other. I mean, whatever happened to the days when, like, an, even an Ed Hightower or who was the guy from um, Grand Rapids area that I always used to hate? Um, shoot, I can't. His name escapes me. But he was a Big Ten ref forever. Of course, I hate all the Big Ten refs. But, um those guys, they would, even Teddy Valentine, they'd let things go for a little bit. They'd say, knock it off, knock it off, knock it off. But, I mean, we're so quick to teeth. It's like the woke cancel cultures come to basketball. Like, let these guys woof at each other a little bit. Let them play. I, no, I'm not a fan of showing up your your opponent. I get it. But, like, they toss A.J. Hogard for what looked pretty innocuous on TV, and yet an Indiana player takes a swing at 
Malik Hall, who's trying to pick him up off the floor politely, right in front of the ref, and he doesn't do anything. Like, that's my last kind of take on basketball is, and I've talked about the softening of America in general, but that's like another example of, like, let's not be so in control when we have stripes on our shirts that we lose sight of what the game is about and that it's part of the fun of the game, quote-unquote, is a little bit of that competitiveness and that nature that comes out. Because I'm telling you, Michigan State manufactured that against Indiana, and I, I almost feel like Izzo probably scolded them because they, you know, Hogard got double teed and tossed out of the game eventually, and told them, no, 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 dial it back. And then what happens? What happened tonight? So I don't know, Ryan, if you had anything else, big time NCAA stuff that you wanted to share outside the Big Ten. I got nothing. All right, let's move uh, to our now new until we get to March Madness bracketology segment. I'm copying and pasting over some of my notes from this. Um, as we did last week, let's cover who our number one seeds are, who's in from the Big Ten, and what seed. I actually started to keep track of like where I've put teams week to week just because it would be kind of interesting to track it week to week, I think. And then I've got some fun stuff that I originally had in the NCAA in our last segment that I think will fit really well here um, just because it's super interesting. So, Ryan, we'll start with you. Who are your number ones? Uh, pretty similar to last week aside from one new team in. Uh, Gonzaga, Auburn, Arizona, and I've inserted Kentucky into that um, fourth one seed spot. Yeah, my change is I still have Auburn in the south, Gonzaga in the west. I have now Kansas in the Midwest instead of Kentucky in the Midwest. I shifted Kentucky to the east, but I bumped Purdue out um, of the number one seed. I just uh, they're too inconsistent. Yeah, um, they're not even in first place in the Big Ten right now. Not that that's the be all end all, but that's a part of it. So, all right, Ryan, give us your, um, how you're doing or how you, how you see the big 10 seated, whether it's through tonight or whatever point in time you looked at it. Yeah, this was, this I, I updated Michigan States, um, just, just after this, but, um, yeah, I've got Michigan state or I'm sorry, Ohio state. Um, I've moved them up to a four. I had them as a five last week. I think that they're, they're a good team. Um, with with a chance to improve, EJ Liddell is is definitely my favorite player in the Big Ten. He doesn't get talked about nearly enough. So he's, good, he's a he's stud. So good. I have moved Michigan State. I, I had him at a five before tonight, uh, same as last week. I've moved them down to a seven, which I think could get lower as low as a ten. Um, with what's happening here, not good. I've bumped Purdue down to a two seed. Um, had him as a one last week. Illinois kept as a three. Um, moved Wisconsin from a four to a five. Um, Indiana from eight to ten, Rutgers ten to eleven. I I think I had overseeded them before. I think eleven is a good spot. Iowa still is a nine, um, and I believe Michigan is next four out. So I think they're about five or six from being in. Um, now. Yeah, the net would tell you Michigan should be in, which is ridiculous because they've only beaten Purdue. But I, so I have Michigan nowhere, and not even in my like fourth four out at this point in time. Not that they can't play themselves back in. Right. Um, I bumped Purdue down from a one to a two. I've got them in as a solid two. I have Illinois maintaining at a two seed. Um, I think that's pretty legit that the Big Ten could get a couple of number twos, um, if not a number one. Um, I've moved to Wisconsin down from a three to a four. I still think that they can they could rise up as high as a three. They've they've got some things that they're interesting, you know, about their profile. Interesting but, team. But I still think they, you know. I right think now, a lot more four is about right. Than... I, I do. I agree because if Johnny Davis is really cold, Tyler Wall is really good. But I, I don't know. It just it just depends. 
Ohio State, I moved up from a five to a four. That's a sneaky team I would not want to play. I mean, they lack a true big, but Liddell is he's legit. For my money, he's the best player in the Big Ten this year. Um, I last week had bumped Michigan State before the podcast from a five to a seven, and this week I did the same. I was ready to move him back up to a five with a win against Penn State, but nope. I'm actually putting him in the eight line. I think seven is probably their ceiling, and ten is probably their floor. I mean, look at their schedule the rest of the way. They've got three home, three away. Their three home are Illinois, Purdue, and Maryland. So maybe one and two there, two and one if they're lucky. On the road, they've got Iowa, Michigan, Ohio State. Very easily could be 0-3, maybe if they're lucky, 1-2. and um, I mean, so at best in there, if you're looking at two more wins, that's 11-9 and in the Big Ten. That's 20-11 and overall. That's, that's not, not, that's not pretty. Um, Indiana's fading fast. They need to get some wins. I think they have... Somebody big tonight at home. Wisconsin. Wisconsin. So if they can get that win, that would help them. I have them falling from a 10 to a 12, um, probably in a play-in game. Um, flipping spots with Iowa, who last week I had as a 12 in a play-in game. I have them as a solid 10 right now. And um, from last four out to a 12 play-in game, I have Rutgers. Rutgers, KG bunch of veterans, not a whole lot of depth that can score. But guys that have been there, remember they gave Houston a run last year, a final Final four team in the second round of the tournament. If they can keep it up, they've got a legit shot to make some noise on the first weekend for sure. So the other interesting thing, and and Ryan, you can chime in on any of this if you want. We've kind of talked about this a little bit on the podcast the last couple weeks about how um, top 40 offensive efficiency, top 20 defensive efficiency kind of rules the roost. Um, I think out of the maybe out of the last – Ken Palm's only been around for 19 years, but – but it's something like out of the last 30 years, it really nets out to like top 40 offense, top 15 to 20 defense. For sure, since Ken Palm's been around, then the last 19 champions have, have this in common. And there are currently 10 teams that hold that distinction as of February 14th. So that's not including any games this week. Um, Gonzaga, number two offense, number seven defense. Arizona, number nine offense, five defense. Kentucky, 4 offense, 12 defense. Baylor, 7 offense, 13 defense. Auburn, 16 offense, 8 defense. Duke, 10 offense, 18 defense. Houston, Houston, 11 offense with two guys out, I think, for the season. 16 defense. Tennessee, one of the lower-end offenses for this group at 30, but 6 in defensive efficiency. UCLA, 18-15. And Texas, the worst offense in this bunch at 39, but a defensive efficiency of 10. No, what what's absent from that list? Big 10 schools. So here's your notable teams. These are teams that Ryan and I both have um, t- tagged, minus Rutgers, who honestly I looked at the list like 10 times and I couldn't find Rutgers. I don't know if I didn't go far enough or if I just missed them. But So minus Rutgers, this is how the Big 10 currently ranks. Number 11 overall in the efficiency ratings overall, but that's combined, is Purdue. Number one offense in the nation, 116 defense. And this is why they don't win games like that road pounding at Michigan or some of these other games that they've inexplicably lost. 15 next is Illinois, 23-22. So they're right on the bubble. They're right on the cusp. Their offense is definitely in there, and their defense is close. So keep an eye on Illinois and see how that plays out for you. Um, come bracket time. Iowa, number five on offense, 
equally as dog you know what on defense 117 as Purdue. Ohio State, this one was surprising. They were eight on offense, but only 105 on defense. I was a little surprised by that. Um, Michigan State, 29 offense, 44 defense. Um, the 44 defense seems actually a little How light. Are they 29th on offense? Because I think I feel like that should be reversed. Honestly, their defense is pretty good sucks. shooting percentage and stuff. But whatever. Michigan, 24 offense, 82nd defense. Wisconsin, 50 offense, 38 defense. Kind of in a cuspish, but not really. In Indiana, 111 offense. Great defense, 19 defense. But uh, And then here's a couple of other notables that didn't make the cut of those 10 that kind of fall in the top 40, top 20. Kansas, 3 and 37. 3 offense, 37 defense. Villanova, 6 offense, 25 defense. Close. Texas Tech, eh, 57 offense, 3 defense. That tells you defense wins games, but you got to be able to score the rock. LSU, 118, they're kind of the reverse of Purdue, 118 offense, one defense. And then UConn, 27, 29. So UConn, you know, out of that group, UConn, Kansas, Villanova, yeah, kind of close. So if do yourself a favor when you're doing your brackets this year, and I, I'm not going to do these net ratings every single week, but or not net ratings, but these efficiency ratings. But if that really holds true and you want a little help come bracketology time for your bracket, whether it's through you know a gambling site or it's an office pool or whatever, I'm telling you, look at Ken Palm. The, you don't even have to be a stats junkie. Just know that. Look at where he ranks and know where teams fall, and you got a good chance of finding your final four. Might get some outliers for sure, but it is what it is. All right, Ryan, spot number three. We'll get off the Mr. Stats side of things. We will go to our usual comfortable number three spot, which is Mount Rushmore. And this week we are going to do best NCAA tournament Cinderella's of all times. And by Cinderella, I define that as having gotten at least two wins in any one tournament. Mm -hmm. And I'll let you go. Uh, Go with your first two. First two, yeah, I'll go uh, Loyola, Chicago, 2018, Final Four run, obviously, um, 11 seed, kind of chance. They were up on Michigan a half um, in that game mm-hmm. and then kind of ran out of steam. Um, and Michigan was really hot. So, um, And then George Mason, 2006, um, last team into the tournament, probably beat Michigan State, beat North Carolina, got to the beat Final UConn, Four, too. beat UConn, the, a team that had been, well, I think they were one seed. Yeah, yeah, as an 11 seed, George Mason, another 11 seed in the Final Four. That was unbelievable. I had um, both of those two. And, and the fun fact about them, their tallest guy was like 6'6". Six, six. Yeah, I remember watching that game. It was like one of those pound your head into a wall when you're watching Michigan State do the – like. but the credit more goes to George Mason in that game and Jim Laranega, who I think is still at – Still at Miami. At Miami. So I had I had those two on my list as well. But I've got two to throw at you that are a little bit more in my wheelhouse when I was a kid. 1983 NC State, they were a six seed. They had to win the conference title in the ACC just to get into the tournament. Um, and they had one of their key guys. There was a great 30 for 30 on ESPN about it. One of their key guys, I can't remember which one it was, that was actually out down the stretch. And they won. They like they were backs against the wall. And they won something like four games in a row going into the ACC tournament. Won the ACC tournament, beat Virginia like twice, who had Ralph Sampson at the time. They beat Fi Slamma Jamma in that infamous 
Um, you know, 1983 national championship game. I mean, they beat some good teams. They played some tough games. I want to say it was Pepperdine. They were down pretty sizably late in the West region in that tournament and came back and won that game. So they were, you know, total Cinderella story. Jim Jim Valvano, um, great. I remember watching that on spring break in Florida. Um, pretty memorable for me. Um, another one for me, 1985 Villanova. Now, after the fact, we find out that a couple of those guys were high on coke during the game, but that was an eight seed who beat a number one seed, Michigan, in that tournament, and they beat the team, really the team of a four-year run, Patrick Ewing and Georgetown, who how the mighty have fallen now. They're like 0-13 in the Big East under Ewing this year, but um, played the, what they call it the perfect game. They shot something like 70-plus percent. It was like 76% from the field. Oh. This is before three-pointers, and... They just ran it to perfection and, and, and beat Georgetown, who had Ewing and a couple of other NBA type of guys, a team they had lost to two or three times that season um, you know, to win the national championship. So I got two natties that went all the way to the Cinderella for my first two. Yeah. Um, I'll go another, I think, might have been first four, VCU 2011 Shaka Final Four run, 11 seed, common theme of 11 seeds, kind of – showed that he was a good coach and then he went to Texas obviously at Marquette now um, but that team was just tough like they beat Kansas who was the number one seed um, that was kind of that crazy final four that had Butler and Butler, VCU Butler, UConn, and, VCU and that I can't, I can't remember I can't remember the, the fourth team, team either mm, it'll, come to me. it'll come to me maybe Florida or something like that I want to say it was Florida but that team was just just tough nails defense havoc. That's when havoc came into play. Yep. Um, and my next one, I'll go back and forth. Uh, I'll say FGCU 13, mm-hmm. 2013, number fifteen seed beat Georgetown. Um, Dunk City was born. Um, Brett Comer and Feeler, um, all those guys just dunking. Um, then they beat. San Diego State in the next round as a seven seed, I believe, beat them pretty good. Then was up on Florida, um, ended up losing a close one to them. Um, yeah, yeah, that was a great run. I mean, a couple. I had I had both of them on my list as well. I mean, I think then. So for my other two, you got to throw out there. You know, again, aging myself a little bit, but I think it was nineteen ninety ninety one ish, maybe loyal of Marymount. Yeah, when. Um, you know, they had had Hank Gathers had died in a game of a, of a heart attack. And, I mean, they put up points, man. The Phil Westfall, like, or Paul Westfall offense, I think it was what it was. And, I mean, they were, like, score 145 points. And I think they put up 145 on Michigan, I think, in fact, in that tournament. Um, just kind of the story that was there of what had gone on around the program with one of their best players. You know, Kimball with a left-handed, eyes-closed free throw Um you know, in honor of his teammate and stuff. That was pretty sweet. Um, trying to think of another good one that sticks out to me. I mean, really, 2010 and 2011 back-to-back Butler, Butler runs. Yeah. You know, they were not as low-seeded as some of these teams, but, you know, they were definitely underdogs and, and almost won the national title in 2010 just by half an inch on that half-court shot. Um, but then to go back in 2011 with arguably a lesser team. Yeah, they were. Uh, I think they were nine that year, and they won at the buzzer to get to the round of 32. Davidson 08 ahead them on Davidson their Davidson 08, another one, yep. Um, 10 seed made it to the Elite Eight, lost to Kansas, who was the eventual national champion. And then I also had Oral Roberts um, from last oh, year. Oh, yeah, last 15, year, yep. Max Abe Smith. 
Um, and UMBC, I mean, obviously UMBC, they didn't fall into the criteria of but that's you know, two plus, obviously. but that's only 16 to ever beat a one, you know, David beating Goliath. So, you know, here, here's the point of this one is March Madness is less than four weeks away, or at least Selection Sunday is. We cannot wait. We are going to ramp up basketball even more. We're going to hope that we can just take some Alka-Seltzer and Michigan State's problems will go away. As Dick Vitale used to say, I am not confident in that, but like Ryan said tonight after we flipped off the TV at the end, um, March Madness, as wonderful as it is, is a lot more fun when your team actually has a chance to do something, like even win a game, but it is what it is. All right, spot number four, Super Bowl recap. It did not disappoint. We had an, I, the game was, you know, I think at some point, Ryan, you even said it was kind of boring. I mean, it was, it was but it was close, which right. is what we Thank wanted. Um, and it came down to the wire. And I'll just point out, I was listening back the other day to our podcast from last week, and um, I called a final drive victory from Matthew Stafford in a Cooper Cup MVP. Just saying. I didn't win any bets on the Super Bowl, but just saying. All right, Ryan. What are your, yeah. what are your takes? On it was. I'm glad Stafford got that ring. He he proved um, all those all, all those doubters wrong. Apparently, Detroit fans were too, that, since they watched it. Proved that uh, Detroit is just a, a train wreck of a franchise, but we already knew that. Cooper Cup, amazing. Aaron Donald, amazing performance. Can we cut the crap about Sean McVay retiring at 37 years old? They're like, who will succeed Sean? Mc-? No. No, because he won one Super Bowl. You don't think you don't a young guy wants more? to be the next Belichick? I mean, Seriously, he's got he's a he's, stupid. That, that team is not that old either. I oh. mean, yeah. Here's a couple of fun things that I've seen just this week. Just to, if we have any Bengals fans out there, I'm I'm sorry because I really like your team and I hope you're you're back. But if you look at it closely, Donald was pretty offside last play of the game. That he was down he play. was offside. His helmet was over the line. Burrow. As great as he is, he's still young. He actually missed he he missed a read. Now he was under pressure, but he missed a read to his left um, on the corner. Who took the? I think he took the middle instead of the flat, and he would have had a first down out of bounds. And actually, I saw then later. I think it might have just been today. Jamar Chase actually had, um, old boy, what's his name? Ramsey. Ramsey on the ground, and I, he had. I mean, obviously, he had no time to get it there, but. My only other question on that is that why on third down are you giving the ball to P. Ryan and not to Mixon? He wasn't even in on the last drive. I don't, I don't understand that he runs harder. I mean, but that was a hell of a play by Donald. Um, you know, feel for Odell Beckham for tearing his ACL. You could see it when it went down. I I read this week that a bunch of players, Bosa and a couple of other guys that have had knee injuries because of turf, are like immediately took to social media to rip on why do we even play on synthetic turf anymore why can't with the technology anymore hey just call michigan state you know back in the 90s michigan state invented we'll call it trayable grass like pods that they could bring into the silver dome for the world cup so they could play on real grass in the silver dome like why can't we i i get it some of these places you know it's 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 maybe imperfect but so what it's part of the game right and you're in los angeles inside i mean what you know it's not like it's going to be a mud bath i just i i hate to see those non-contact injuries happen and it's i feel like non-contact injuries happen more than yeah. contact injuries yeah. at that point it's just ready to go to me when that happens but it's just sad seeing that 
But, you know, a couple other things. I thought it was interesting. It was a super clean game until the end. I know Cincinnati fans are kind of butthurt about that. But, look, I don't know. I'm not a fan of changing how you call the game throughout the course of the game. But the fact of the matter is those were PIs or defensive holds late. And it is what it is. They might not have been calling it earlier in the game, but they they were penalties and they called them when it mattered. And let's face it, you got a little lucky on your touchdown to start the second half because that was a clear face mask and head jerk of Ramsey on that long touchdown pass. Um, that said, though, I thought the officials did a pretty good job. I mean, I, a little shout-out to the head official who actually is a Michigan State and Harvard alum. Pretty spectacular for a referee, if you ask me. But um, that's the kind of game that we needed, though, out of the Super Bowl. It needed to be close. It needed to be a dogfight like the other games were. Um, you know, the defense was really good, but the offense made some key plays. Um, I was hoping that it would come down to the kicker because I had money on McPherson to win the MVP mm-hmm. at plus 10,000 long odds. Um, but no, seriously, I, mean, I didn't have a horse in the game. I, I'm happy for Stafford. I'm not like most Lions fans who were rooting openly for him. I just wanted a good game, which we got. Commercials were not very good. Halftime show was really good. Um yeah, that's about that's kind of my take on Super Bowl. Anything else from your end, Ryan? No, just I'm glad it was a a, a good end of the season. Um, just a fantastic NFL season, first ever eighteen week season. Um, loved it. Now football is uh, no football till what well, six months away. No appreciable football until the end of August when we week get out zero. of preseason and week yeah. zero starts. So um, that's all right. We got basketball to curious for a while, then we get into golf season, and we'll try to limp our way through baseball and all that other stuff and. We've got that hopes, right? The hopes of, of the next football season. Yep. All right, moving on to spot number five, golf, as it has become kind of locked into spot number five. Ryan and I hit the golf show last weekend, the West Michigan Golf Show. It's fun. I was, what, a couple inches from a hole-in-one in the hole-in-one contest. Yep. Did win a free round of golf at Treetops. I just missed a chance to win $5,000 in a 25-foot putting contest, but... The good news is I was close in those. The bad news is those were probably my two best shots going into the season, and I burned them all already. Um, but the golf show always kind of gets you in the mood, you know, destination stuff and whatever. I mean, it's pretty cool when they set up the hole-in-one hole. It's like a landscaping company that uses actual turf and stuff. So it's, it's a pretty cool setup, trees and all. Um, as we kind of started here, you know, we talked the last couple of weeks, we talked about speeding up the game, rules that you would change. So I'm kind of on the search usually week over week for something that Ryan and I can chat about here. And we kind of talked about this in the sprint last week. But my question this week, if you didn't watch the Phoenix, the WM, as they call it now, Waste Management, I mean, you missed it because that's a really fun tournament to watch. The 16th hole is absolutely bananas. I mean, it is it is epic. It is nuts. It is crazy. Would it help every non-major tournament and the game itself, Ryan, to have a hole like number 16 at every tournament, or is it the uniqueness that makes yeah, it Yeah, I love the uniqueness of it. I think the the you know the energy that was brought up, the passion, um, is amazing to see. I would like to see it more, but I think just the, the it's that event, you, it's known for that. That 16th hole is known for being the rowdiest hole in golf. It's a party. It's and, and the players, party. they embrace it, right? Like it's the stuffiness of the game kind of goes away, like the old school. And I don't think the game is that stuffy anymore, to be honest. A lot more people play now than even when I was a kid. Um, it used to be just an old man's game, and it's not that way anymore, which is great. Um, 
that hole is just it's the players embrace it you know nobody in it look the guys that don't don't show up and they don't play right so like they expect it i mean the reactions just a couple notes that i took the dunk on 16 by sam Ryder. that was legendary alone right it was the first hole in one um in tournament play there since 2015 um and there had only been nine since 1987 when the tournament went to tpc scottsdale so there were 2,863 total shots between aces from 2015, I think it was Francisco Molinari, and Sam Ryder who did it. And then he just, like the cans of beer that were kind of full, that's a little dangerous, probably a little overkill. The beer shower, though, pretty cool. Like (laughs) listening to um, CBS's, who's their their girl? Balionis. Yeah, Amanda Balionis. You know, like her just... And kind of watching her react to getting a beer shower, like the shaking the beer and spraying it, like the champagne thing, or the one camera angle uh, closer to the green of that. I mean, that was sweet. Like throwing the beer cans, uh, that's a little, that's dangerous. And I'm surprised there wasn't more damage to the green. But then we got to do it all over again on Sunday because Carlos Ortiz did it on Sunday after it had been 2,863 shots. There were only 33 shots till the next ace. And it was arguably just as crazy, but maybe not. As crazy as when Higgs and Domin played, two good buddies, two guys with a physique like mine, dad bods, we'll call it. And I think Domin had put on Twitter, like, if something happens, blah, 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 Higgs will take his shirt off. Well, he didn't disappoint. He made kind of a decent length birdie putt, and he didn't take it off, but he pulled it up over his head, and I mean, full display of dad bod. Well, then Dom, and not to be outdone, takes his shirt completely off and starts waving it and whipping it yeah. in a frenzy to the crowd. And, I mean, they're dancing. and Like, that's that's what a game like that, that people have a certain perception of, I think it helps. Now, I do tend to agree. Like, every week it would get old, it would get stale. Um, you know, there is some decorum to the game of golf. I understand that. But even if, like... There was one, and you kind of see it a little bit at the British Open. Like, they're pretty rowdy, although respectful. Um, it would be, you know, maybe one or two other places if you could find a good spot for it. But, like, imagine that at, at Amen Corner. No. Um, but I thought that was pretty epic and pretty cool. And it just made that turn. The only unfortunate part is it went three holes of overtime, and we didn't get to watch it because the Super Bowl was on. But um, shout out to Scotty Scheffler for his first ever win and a nice comeback there at the end. Um Tagala was impressive as a as a rookie. Yeah, absolutely. unflappable kind of like go for the gusto. Didn't play cautious; it burned him a little bit in the end, but still top three, top five, whatever he had was pretty sweet. Some good money. How would we do on our uh, on our picks? Your last guys week? combined to be eighty one or fifty one points. Mine combined to be eighty one. Final miscut. Bubba Watson um, did okay, and then you had JT and answer who ended up doing pretty well. Yeah, JT was like top. Top three, five, five. Yeah, I think top five. And then, yeah, answer kind of faltered a little bit at the end. But all right, so who you got for your twosome this week, Ryan? At the at next Riviera. week, I got two guys from over the pond. Uh, I've got Rory, who's playing really well, first PGA event since his last win, um, CJ Cup, um, back in October. Um, and also Robert McIntyre, sneaky southpaw. Um, I think he's Irish, maybe Scottish, one of the two. Yeah, Mac. It's got to be something like good. that. He's good. He's he's good players. Apparently, he's. He's good for the for the course this week, so I've got him. He's my long shot. Um, if I win, if he wins, I win one hundred and thirty bucks. So well, and win, if Robert. you know, like if seventeen at TPC Scottsdale is the best 
short par four on the tour because it's drivable, and but it's got the pond. I mean, we saw Thagala. He absolutely smoked his and it, like, jumped over the green, got a bad bounce. Like, I think is it number 10 at Riviera? Is that the hole yes. that's, like, just crazy? Mm-hmm. It's crazy short. But the green is diabolical, and there's enough trouble around that recovery is not easy. And it's like you really, like, you kind of can't not go for it. But at the same time, it might be the better reward if you actually lay it up and hit it to a wet. You know, I don't know, but that, that'll be fun to watch. That's always a fun tournament to watch. I think that's the last one on L.A., right? And then we moved to Florida. Um, and that means we're getting closer and closer to TPC and Augusta. My twosome for this weekend, I've got Wills Altoris, who had been playing well. He took, um, I think, the last week or so off. I don't think he played this past week. And then Mark Leishman, um, both pretty good ball strikers and playing well lately. It's it's such a crapshoot. I mean, I think the entire top ten's playing this week, um, which yeah, is super top interesting. Yeah, in the official ball, yeah. golf ranking. So it will be, um, it'll definitely be interesting. All right, moving on to our sprint. Uh, first free throw line, Ryan. More important player for MSU to get cooking down the stretch. Gabe Brown or Max Christie or somebody else. Max Christie. Every time he scores in double digits, Michigan State wins. Except for today, they, he scored, he scored 10 double today. digits. Yep, he scored right. ten today and they lost. But generally speaking, yes, and that's because none of the nobody else showed up to play. Um, half court and back. Best Super Bowl commercial. Um, tough one. I like the the Michelob Ultra, the first one with Peyton Manning. I that was pretty good. Yeah, they were generally pretty crappy. Yeah, like they were bad. floating QR code for like forty five seconds or whatever that cost them however many million. That was dumb. Whatever. Yeah. Um, opposite free throw line. Is this the hardest Michigan State basketball team that you've ever had to watch? It's close. I'd say this one. And then Kalen Lucas is senior. They were bad, and they were should have been really, really good because they had a lot of talent. But I think this year and last year have been probably the roughest I, I've ever. Yeah, that year was wasn't that the year where they had all the internal Just, turmoil yeah, and Corey guys Lucius, ended up. Chris yeah. Allen had that already was before. He had, he had left, but kind of the same like Corey that same Lucius ongoing turn. Draymond Green was like the most consistent player. Um, just a weird year. And but, then yeah. in honor of the rivalry. And because it's for the MIAA championship, basically. Uh, Hope or Calvin tomorrow? Who you got? Roll Dutch, baby. All right. For me, boy, uh, honestly, as much as I do agree that it could be Max to get cooking because I feel like he can at least put the ball on the floor and get a shot for himself, Michigan State has got to get more out of Gabe Brown. They, they've got to get Rutgers' Gabe Brown not the Gabe Brown that's been there or not been there the last. I mean, he had zero against Indiana. Uh, you just you can't be a senior captain and let down game in and game out. And I don't care if it's because the other team's measuring you up. Step up, dude. Best Super Bowl commercial. I will say this is the worst Super Bowl for commercials I can ever remember. And usually the commercials are like you must see TV. Like sometimes you're more apt to get up and use the restroom during the game. Yeah, not so much this time. I mean, there were a couple of good ones. I'm always a fan of Doritos with the with their stuff, the Flaming Out one. That was kind of funny. Um, you know, E-Trade bringing back the talking baby. That was fun. But I'm going to go with the NFL halftime commercial, actually, with kind of like the animated players. I thought that was pretty cool uh, in the house, and that kind of tells you <laughs> where, where it's at, if, that, if that's what I thought was the best commercial. 
is this the hardest Michigan State team to watch? Well, I came up with this question as this game ended. I mean, in recent memory, I, you got to say yes. I mean, I've obviously been around a lot longer than Ryan. I've I've ridden the waves of frustration and, and seen teams that should be better than they are, you know, not be that. I've seen teams that should have been worse than they were not be. I mean, but I think night in and night out, especially the last really four to six weeks, yeah, they're the hardest team to watch because the it's the coaster. same thing. 20% of their possessions end up in turnovers. Tonight, I think they kept it kind of well, cool. They had, they, had eight, they had eight in the first half, and they only had three in the second half, so it wasn't as bad. But in a low-possession game, low-scoring game, you can't afford any, right? Like So, yeah, this year team is the hardest one to watch. And, of course, I mean, I would never say that Calvin's going to be at Hope. I do think it'll be a good game. Calvin will be out for blood because Hope absolutely curb-stomped them in GR um, a couple weeks ago. But that's Calvin's last loss, I believe. So, um, it's how the MIAA should be coming down for all the marbles to the Hope Calvin game. I mean, both teams have a game Saturday as well, but for all intents and purposes, that is it. All right, Ryan, give us your portion of the closeout. Yeah, uh, follow us on Twitter at the Final Score Thirty Five. Um, also follow us on um, TikTok, Sparty on Thirty Five. Um, trying to post more content out there. Um, so yeah, keep on doing that. If you have any anybody that's looking to sponsor something, get their name out there. Um, please let me or Mr. Andrew Gam know. Um, we'd be happy to to have you as a, as a sponsor. Doesn't matter uh, how much. Not looking for a ton of money. Just looking to you know help pay for some stuff. Help get this this thing keep going going and growing uh, and get your name out there as well. So yeah, maybe get some some, some things trade. for contests or whatever fair trade or whatever. Would love to have a a golf segment sponsor because that is a regular or, or Mount Rushmore. That's another regular segment. Let's so get Mount Rushmore. Got any sponsor. ideas? Um, shoot them our way because we'd love to get some um speaking of sponsors got to give a shout out to team anders realtors our returning presenting sponsor great supporters great realtors if you have realty needs here in west michigan look them up teamanders.com jim donna tim the gang they will uh they will hook you up they they've hooked up our family they've hooked up our extended family they've hooked up coach clough in rockford they've hooked up lots of family and friends that we've put them on to Fantastic people, fantastic company. They get the job done. Meantime, as the round mound of rebound, Chuck, so aptly put, and could have, when he said this, been referring to the Michigan State team, I always laugh when people ask me about rebounding techniques. I've got a technique. It's called, just go get the damn ball. <laughs>